chapter 11. And I'm reasonably confident that I'm not going to keep you for very long. I had another lesson prepared, but uh, or another message prepared, but uh, yesterday and again this morning and this afternoon felt like the Lord just directed me in a different way. So uh, we're going to do our best to follow that leading. It's, it's a it's a great thing to be a part of the Pentecostal church. Uh, the word Pentecostal. I've been thinking about it a lot this week because I had a phone call during the week. I quite often get phone calls from people who find our website or or come across our, our phone number somehow, and they often begin with, "Is this the Northside Pentecostal Church?" And I say, "Yes, this is this is the pastor of that church." And and uh, then various questions come about service times, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But during the week, I had a call from a lady who. Firstly established the same question, is this Northside Pentecostal Church? And I said, yes. And then she said to me, is it a real Pentecostal church? I think it was real. It was either real or genuine or something, a word of that nature. And I paused for a moment. I said, well, I believe so. Uh, I guess that depends on how you define a real Pentecostal church. And she began to talk about the Holy Ghost and the move of the Spirit. And I said, yes, then it is definitely a real Pentecostal church. Amen. And we, we are privileged. You know, the, the use of the word Pentecostal uh, to describe a church is not, has only really come into being since the beginning of the last century when the Holy Ghost was poured out in uh, the turn of the century at Topeka, Kansas, and then on into Azusa Street in California. That, that's really when people began to be identified as Pentecostals. Um, but in the, in, the, in the New Testament, the first century, they were simply Christians. In fact, it's very easy to demonstrate biblically that in the, in the book of Acts, and in that first century church, that was the only kind of Christians there was, was people who were apostolic, people who were Pentecostal, people who believed in receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And when you look in Acts chapter 2 and you read what took place on that day, first century Pentecostals were baptized in Jesus' name, filled with His Spirit. And so it is, it is uh, when people ask us what does it mean to be Pentecostal, we need to be able to tell them it means we believe that we can still be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. But John chapter 11, that was, I guess, a little bit of a reference to what I was going to preach about, but we're going into John chapter 11, and we're going to pick out a few little pieces here. Verse 1 says, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany town of Mary and her sister Martha. And in brackets it says, And it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, whom thou lovest is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And verse 5 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Amen. And then we go down a little bit further to verse 11. And it says, These things saith he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. well he's resting. Hopefully he's going to get better. 
And howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. And then Jesus, very plainly, as it says in verse 14, Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. And for a few minutes tonight, I want to preach. Your story is not finished. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we worship you tonight. Lord, we feel your presence in your house, Lord God. And we are your children. God, we're vessels in your hand, Lord God. And I pray tonight that, Lord, in this next little while that we are together, Lord, that, God, you would anoint, Lord God, you would move in this place mightily. And, Lord, you would do a work in us, oh, God, tonight, that we would lift up our heads, Lord God, and look unto you, we pray. In the name of Jesus, anoint me, God, to bring your word as you would have it delivered, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. The Bible says that God so loved the world. That means that every single person that has ever breathed, God loves. But for a reason, this chapter specifically tells us in verse 5 that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. We we don't really even hear about Lazarus except in, in the book of John. But somehow in the life of the Lord as he grew up and entered into his ministry, this family were close to him. There was a relationship there. There was, there was a love that the Lord had for them that was worth mentioning specifically beyond the relationships that he had, beyond the fact that he loved the world and that he came to die for them. And the message comes to the Lord, and, and we, many of us know the story very well, that Lazarus is sick. Now, for there to be a need, or at least a perceived need, for that message to be sent to Jesus, Lazarus' condition was obviously serious. He didn't have a flu, Brother David. Sister Chelsea told me that Brother David has the man flu. All of us men object to that particular description. But it was not just a little something that he would get over in a matter of days. But for the, the, the fact that Mary and Martha had sent the message meant that Lazarus' condition was serious. And we only have to read verse 14 to see that it was because the Lord said, he's dead. They said, well, Lord, if he's sleeping, that's good. He's going to get better. But the Lord said, Lazarus is dead. And they could not understand why Jesus deliberately delayed his visit to Bethany. His friend that he loved was sick. It made sense to us and to his disciples that he would make haste, that he would put aside anything else he had planned and get there quickly to minister to his friend that was sick. But Jesus deliberately took his time. He deliberately dragged his feet, we might say, and allowed Lazarus to die. In fact, when he got there, they said, Lord, if you had been here, if you'd come a little early, it was almost, it was, it was their grief expressed in almost a little bit of being critical of him. They said, Lord, if you'd been a little earlier, our brother had not died. They thought that Lazarus' death was the end of the story. They thought that Jesus was capable of healing their brother. 
that he could take away any sickness. But they realized, or at least in their own minds, they perceived that when that body was cold and dead, and they wrapped it in burial clothes and put it in a tomb, that it was game over, that it was finished, that it was done. But what they did not realize was that the friend that loved them could take that story that they felt was finished and begin to turn a page and, as it were, take a pen and write another chapter that they thought could not be written. And Jesus came to them and the sisters and those that were there were mourning and expressed their grief. And the Lord said to them in verse 23, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said, Lord, we know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day when everybody else will rise again. But then the Lord said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And she answered him and said, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. She didn't really answer his question. He said, do you believe that, if I, that I am the resurrection of life? And I don't think she knew what to say, and that's probably fair enough. But she said, Lord, I know that you're the one that's come. You're the Messiah. You're the Redeemer. And so she said, I believe on you. And she said, the Master is come. Said to her sister that he called for thee. And you read on, if you turn across the page or onto the other side of the page, it gets to verse 34. And he, the Lord said, where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? And Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he's been dead for four days. And Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Hallelujah. They thought the story was finished. They thought that it was done. Even Lazarus, we could discuss what possible state of consciousness he had in the grave, but even he thought his life on this earth was done. But when his friend came, the one who had the power of resurrection, he was able to say, it's not too late yet. Move the stone, get that thing out of the way. And he spoke into eternity where Lazarus' spirit was and said, Lazarus, he said, come forth. But we might even say, he said, come back. 
And Lazarus returned and that body that was supposedly being corrupted and decaying somehow was restored completely and he was healthy and whole and a man wrapped in grave clothes somehow, whether he hopped or levitated or whether he dived and rolled, I do not know. But he came out of that tomb and the story continued. Lazarus died again. We don't read about when it was, but there were chapters that were added to his life that nobody thought could happen, that everybody thought was too late. And my message to you tonight, and I know I'm speaking to some people tonight, is that regardless of the chapter that you are in right now, the story is not finished. Hallelujah. He can still write you a new chapter. He can still turn the page and say, let's start afresh. Let's take a pen that's dipped in the blood of the Lamb and begin to write again. Let's bring that resurrection power. Hallelujah. Your story is not finished. Hallelujah. Sometimes we make a decision that it's too hard, that it's too far, that it just can't work out, and we take our own pen and we put a full stop. We say that's the end. And before that ink even dries, the Lord reaches over and smudges that thing and makes it a comma. I said, it's not a full stop. It's just a pause. It's just a moment while we gather the situation. I can still write a new page in your story. And I know there are people here because they talk to me that feel like their stories just don't seem to get any better. But I want you to know tonight it's not yet finished. Hallelujah. It's not yet finished. Whether you wrote it and you, whether you think that because of your own actions and your own mistakes and your own failures that it's done, I tell you it's not done. Whether it's the actions of somebody else, people in your life, in your circumstance, in your whatever situations, and you think this cannot change, the Lord says, I can still write a new chapter in your story. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. And we ask God, why? Why have these things happened to me? Why have I had to go through this? Why this and why that? And sometimes he tells us and sometimes he doesn't. I thought our ladies did an outstanding job this morning. But all of them were telling their stories. They were telling a story about where they were at one point and where God had brought them to at this point. And if you could sit down with them and go through those stories in a bit more detail, there's some chapters they'd rather not have lived. There's some paragraphs that they'd like to be able to take a big fat eraser and just blot those things out, but they're in the story. They're in the story, but sometimes it's those chapters we don't like that make the story what it is. Sometimes it's the things that we wish had never happened, the things we wish we could go back and undo that the Lord says, out of that mess, out of that chaos, out of that dead, decaying carcass, I'm still the resurrection. I'm still the life. I'm still the one that said, when you say it's too far, I say it's not. When you say there's no hope, I say there is. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. I feel like there are some people tonight that are putting a full stop in the journal of their life. And the Lord is saying, I'm going to smudge that thing. It's not the end. It's not the end. You don't have to stop there. 
Hallelujah, I can take it and I can write a new story and that testimony of where I brought you from can minister to somebody else when they read the story of your life. It can impact the story of theirs. We all love to read stories of how people that have overcome incredible adversity, difficulties and challenges in their lives and we read them and we feel inspired because we read the whole picture. You see, that's the thing about this book. It's full of stories, full of narratives. It's the story of individual people. It's the story of families. It's the story of nations. But we read them as a whole. We have the luxury of reading the stories, but we're able to see the end of the story. You have to remember that when that story was being penned, the people that were in that story did not have the luxury of the next chapter. When David found himself standing on one side of a valley looking at an ugly Philistine giant. And he knew God was with him. But we read that and we get excited because we've already seen the giants dead. David stood there with an army of thousands of quivering Israelites behind him whose courage had got up and left the building. And this young man that they thought didn't have what it took stood there. And I know he had faith, but he didn't really know what the outcome was going to be. And we read it and we go, oh, that's awesome. David killed the giant. But David was there while it was being written. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three young Hebrew men in the nation, they were in captivity. And we love to preach about that. We love to read that story in Sunday school of how they were commanded. They, weren't to, they had to bow down to this image. When the music played, everybody was to bow down and they knew that there was only one true God and they refused to bow down and they stood their ground. And we say, what boldness and what faith. And the king took them and he said, heat that furnace up seven times hotter than usual. We're going to throw those boys in. And we read that story knowing that they came out. But on barbecue day, those three young men didn't know if they were coming out of the fire. The chapter that they had said, we're in a bad place. But this is what they said to the king. They said, our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. And we read that and we love those stories and so we ought to. But we need to recognize that the same God that was there in the middle of their story, that was writing their story, is in the middle of ours. And we forget and we look at the present page that we're on and we say, I can't do this anymore. I've tried. I've failed. I've let God down so many times. I've let my family down so many times. I've let this person and that person down so many times. Why would God even bother with me? And that's exactly what the devil wants us to the devil is sitting there with a pen and he wants to put a big fat full stop on your page. He wants to say, that's it. Call it quits. Game over. Close the book. But the Lord says, let me make that into a comma. Just hang on for a second. Hold on for a minute. It's not over. Jesus specializes in stepping in at a point when we think it's too far. At a point when we think it's too hard, in a situation that we think is impossible, that's exactly when he likes to step in. When we're at the point, because you know why? Sometimes, sometimes if we want to experience resurrection power, something has to die first. 
Something has to die. We've got to take that will and say, God, I've got nothing left. Put it on the altar. And then he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he's able to speak into our lives just like he spoke into Lazarus. And I, I don't know any of us that are going to be going into a cave and having a rock put over the hole. But sometimes our lives feel as bleak as that. But it's not done yet. It's not done yet. The story is not complete. Sister Marshall spoke, I thought so well this morning about her story. And I know some of the things that, and it's not my place to share them with you, but if you knew some of the battles that this lady has been through. And yet every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, I look down there and Sister Rose is still sitting there. Why? Because she refused to put a full stop. doesn't mean that she's superhuman or that she's closer to God than anybody else. It's a choice. It's a choice. I'm not going to call this the end. I'm not going to say it's the end until he says it's the end. When he says it's time, that's all right. But until then, I'm going to keep putting myself back into his hands. If I fall down, I'm going to get up. If I skin my knees, I'm going to get up and dust myself off. I'm going to say, God, I'm here again, Lord. I'm going to try again, Lord. God, I failed again. I need to make some things right, but I will not quit. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. There's not a person... At least in my knowledge, you can correct me if I'm wrong. There is not a person that ever begins a journey with God that doesn't feel like quitting at some time or another. We all go through experiences where we feel like this is just too much. And really what we're finding is a place where the Lord is wanting us to press in, to push in, to push past the disappointment the failure and the feelings of being overwhelmed. Every one of us that walks with God can testify of those things. I can tell you, if you were here long enough, I could tell you of the number of times I said, God, can't do this anymore. Can't do this anymore, Lord. Can't do this anymore. And every time I've gone, tried to put a full stop, he won't even let the ink dry, and he says, no, just hang on. Just hang on. We can keep going. I can begin another page. Hallelujah. Lift your hands and worship him. For just a moment, if you would. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, God, I pray. Oh, God, I pray. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, God. Hallelujah. You read the story in the Old Testament of Israel and Judah, the divided captain, kept, uh, divided country, divided nation, being taken into captivity. Seems like that's the end of the show. They're in a strange land. You read the book of Psalms that talks about how they were the, their captors required a song of them. They said, sing to us one of your old church songs, one of the songs of Zion. And they said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? We hung our hearts, our harps on the willows, and they wept. But then later on it talks of a time when the Lord turned their captivity. And the Bible says we were like them that dreamed. Did not even imagine that it was possible. Because the Lord said it's not done yet. It's not done yet. Hallelujah. I want you to stand with me tonight. I said I wasn't going to be long.